excited to say that I'm a part of this church and, and I'm a part of something that's moving and, and it's fun to be a part of that. It, it's, it's fun to be a part of something that's, that's not stagnant. It's fun to watch that. And, and, and as I sat back, I thought about our church and I said, Lord, what would you have me say to our people? What do you want us to do? And these words kept coming to mind. He's, I want you to be the church. I want you to be the church. I want you to build my church. And, and so I looked at the book of Acts, and this is why I'm coming back to this book, because here's the truth. Many times as churches grow, one, we don't know how to grow, but a lot of times when we grow, it, it's pretty pertinent to what we came out of in the book of John. But many times as churches, when churches grow, they become very consumed with what happens inside these four walls in the church. We become consumed with what's happen, happening here. And instead of what God would have us do, instead of what God has called us to be in, in the church and, and to bear fruit, as we talked about. And what I mean is that we become very consumeristic. Can we talk about it? We, we become very consumeristic and begin to think about things that don't even matter in the kingdom of God. Somebody sat in my seat this week. Man, that, I ain't really like that worship song. They didn't sing my song this week. That preacher, man, I, I want to hear him preach every week. I don't want that preacher. So we start thinking, that worship leader, oh my gosh, I need that one at the church. I need this. And we start thinking about things that really don't matter in the kingdom of God instead of being consumed with what he's called us to do, which is to love him with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love others. In other words, as we talked about throughout the last couple of weeks, to bear fruit. So we get consumed with things that don't matter instead of what he's called us to be consumed with. So as I prayed... And I looked at this book, it, it continually came to mind, the whole book of Acts, because, y'all, I had a whole different series planned out for you. I had, I, I, we were going to go through something in the fall I was really excited about, and the Lord was just pricking my soul, and I'm like, all right, Luke, I got to change it back in September, so it's, <laughs> it's brand new, and, 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 but it's good, and I think the Lord has really something for us here in the book of Acts, and, and, and the reason is, and you've heard me say it before, is as we're growing, I don't want us to just grow as a church. I want us to grow the way God would have us grow. That's glorifying to him is where we, where we come back to the book of Acts, where the church begins. Now, family, when we're looking at this book, let me give you a little bit of instructions. And when you're thinking about the book of Acts, it reads differently than a lot of books in the Bible. This is more of a descriptive text, okay? It's not necessarily prescriptive in everything it says. It's descriptive in its matter. So the writer of Luke, he, he's, he's writing this text describing what's happening in the beginning of the early church. It's not necessarily a, so to say, Pauline epistle where he's writing theology to you and saying, this is what you need to follow. This is what you should do in this event. This is, so it, it's different. It's, it's descriptive. It's describing what's actually happened. So it's more descriptive in nature than prescriptive. Y'all get where I'm going with this? Now, this is very important. It's very important to us because as a young church, when we think about growing, what better church to look at than the early church, the first church, and how they grew? Now, I will say this. The Bible has not changed. It's been God's word since the beginning of time. It's God's word today. It's going to be God's word tomorrow. It does not change, but times do change. Times change a little bit, but that doesn't mean things change in terms of Hey, we may look a little different the way we do things, but that does not change the scripture. That does not change the word. So as we walk through this book, my hope is that through this book, you'll see why we do what we do. You'll see where we get what we get 
and what we do, we get it from this book. We get it from the Bible. This book will also help us explain how the church should look and how it should grow. And it would also help you know what to do as a, as a people of God. How do we walk according to the word of God? So I'm excited to get in this series. So if you got a Bible, look at Acts chapter 1 with me, verses 1 through 11. Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. You got it. You go ahead and stand on your feet with me if you're able as we read the word of God together. Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. If you got it, go ahead and say, got it. It says, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. Remember this, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes. And I love these words. It says, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. These are the very words of God. Amen. Today, I want to talk and preach on the subject of be the church. Can you say that with me? Be the church. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this morning. You're an awesome God. I just ask that you would remove me, decrease me so that you increase in this place. Father, have your way so your folks hear a word from you. May you be glorified in everything I say and do. In Christ's name, we all said together, amen, amen. You may take your seats. How many of y'all have seen this photo before? Y'all seen that photo before? You seen that billboard before? You, you know who that is, right? That's LeBron James. Don't hate. That's LeBron James. Arms stretched out wide, big billboard in the center of downtown Cleveland. It, it, it's high above everything. His hands are stretched out. And above it, it says, can y'all see that? It says, we are all witnesses. This was a campaign done by Nike, Nike shortly after LeBron James was drafted to the Cleveland Cavaliers. And, and what they're really trying to get across is that we are all witnesses of the greatness of LeBron James. 
We, we've all seen this brother play ball. Y'all can hate as long as you want. Y'all can boo as much as you want. The boy is the baddest thing on the planet right now and has done things with basketball we've never seen in our lives before. We all have witnessed it. But here's the thing. This billboard hangs high in Cleveland, downtown. The people didn't just witness him. They start worshiping LeBron James. They worship him because in their little old town, nothing was going well. But as soon as LeBron James comes to town, businesses start to take off. The housing market starts to take off. Ticket sales go through the roof. People start buying jerseys with his name on it. They start buying shirts that say witness. And the city that was downtrodden and didn't have much going on is starting to thrive all because LeBron James is in the city. The one they have been waiting for, the wins that they've been waiting for years to get, now they're going to get it because they get to see the greatness and get to witness the greatness of LeBron James. See, these witnesses, they did nothing to help. They just sit and watch and maybe thrive a little bit off of him. They didn't just witness, my man. They worshipped him. But then in 2010, everybody knows what happens. He takes his talents to South Beach, goes to Miami, and Cleveland Cavaliers go down the drain. The town starts to suffer again. Businesses quickly close down. Housing market starts to go down. People worship and idolize this man, and now they're burning his jersey, and they're burning the shirts that once said witness. Here's the point I'm trying to get at, family. The fans in Cleveland simply did not fully understand what being a witness meant. Follow me. You, you don't want to miss this, see? A witness is someone, yes, who, who sees something take place or, or greatness in LeBron James's case, but a witness is also someone who can bear evidence through their testimony and cause and effect change. Don't miss it. See, and in contrast to Nike's campaign here, Jesus in this passage, he doesn't just say be witnesses as in look at my greatness, marvel at my greatness. But he said instead, you know who I am. You know what I have done. Now I need you to go out and cause and effect change. In essence, what he's really saying is go be the church. Go be my witnesses. Family, hear me. As we get into the book of Acts, I love this book, and as I mentioned before, it, it, it's the beginnings of the church, and it shows us what the church looked like when it was growing. But as we get into this text, I want to preface it with this question this morning. Are you the witness that just marvels at greatness, or are you the witness that causes and affects change? Another way to put it for the Christian in here is, are you the Christian that just goes to church, or are you the Christian that goes out and is the church. I want you to ponder that question today and this morning as we walk through this text. Where, where do you fit on that line? Now, just a bit more context as we get into the book of Acts this morning. It's believed to be written by Luke, and by most scholars, people believe that, and he writes this to a, name, a man by the name of Theophilus. We don't know much about Theophilus, but Luke is said to be a physician, and if you know anything about physicians, when they're writing on their pencil and pad, with their pencil and pad, when you go get a checkup, they're pretty descriptive in terms of what's actually going on with you. So Luke is known to be very descriptive and detailed when he's talking about what's happening. He's just writing down the events. That's what's happening here in this text. That's what you see with Luke. It, in the book, it opens up in verse 1, and 
And he says, I have dealt with what Jesus began to do and teach, which alludes to the fact that he's going to continue to talk about what Jesus is going to do and teach. But this time it's going to be through the church. Now, looking at verses 2 through 3, we see Jesus presenting proof he has risen from the grave by him. And by him rising from the grave, it, it signifies the fact that he has power over sin and death. Verse 3 talks about Jesus presenting himself to the disciples with those holes in his hands and the holes in his feet. Now, family, you can't just read over these verses and miss what's happening here. These first few verses are very significant because could you imagine for a moment, just put your, yourself in the disciples' shoes right now and the people that have followed Jesus. Could you, could you imagine what they're feeling right now, okay? They, they just saw their, their Savior, their Lord, their, their friend, the guy who's taught them a lot of things over the last three years just die one of the most gruesome deaths they've ever seen for sins that they, he didn't even commit. I mean, could, could you imagine what they're feeling right now? Put your thinking caps on. I, mean, I need you to imagine with me what they're actually feeling. Some of them are probably hurt. Some of them are probably feeling pain. Some of them feeling betrayal on, on their behalf. I mean, could you imagine it? But then in this text, you say, it says that they see their risen Lord dwell with them, not for one or two days, but for 40 days. He's there with them. They get to touch his wounds like Thomas in John chapter 20. They, they get to see proof that this is actually Jesus. But, but, but now, can you, uh, can you imagine on the other hand? So they, they went from sadness and hurt and pain, and now they get to see Jesus, their risen Savior. Could you imagine what they're feeling right now? Could, could you imagine the happiness? And I mean, Y'all, this is kind of confusing. In a matter of maybe a couple, few days, they've seen him die one of the most gruesome deaths they've ever seen, and now he's, he's there with them. It's an emotional roller coaster, up and down. One moment they're happy because he's here, and one moment they're sad because he died earlier, and then they're doubtful. Like, is this really Jesus, y'all? Could you imagine what they're going through? I mean, I've never seen anybody rise from the grave, have you? I've never seen that. I mean, and I can guarantee you the disciples in here, they're not fans of Tupac and Elvis talking about, oh, one day he's going to come back. I promise y'all he's coming back. That's not what's happening here. Y'all, Jesus was showing up dead. They put him in the tomb. They rolled the stone. He's dead. But now they see him rise, and he stays with them for 40 days. Family, hear me. This is what I want you to take away. Put it in your back pocket. There's hope in the resurrection. There's hope in the fact that Jesus got up from the grave. There's hope that, that he has power over sin and death. There's hope in that. But this is what I don't want you to miss in this text. I want you to pay attention closely to the words of Jesus, what he says to his disciples. I want you to pay, a close, pay close attention to, to what the men in the white robes say to the disciples too. So I want you to pay close attention to Jesus, and I want you to pay close attention to the men in the white robes, because they actually say the same thing to the disciples, which is simply stop being concerned with what my father is going to do. Stop being concerned with what Jesus is going to do. I've told you what I'm going to do, and I gave you some help. Now go do what I asked you to do. Be the church. So let's look at these words. Jesus tells him in verse 5, he says that John baptized with water. John the, baptized, John the Baptist, that is. And, but soon you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, in other words, he says, through your belief, you will receive the Holy Spirit. Now, I want to pause and kind of clean someone's theology up a bit here. Because remember, I told this is descriptive, not prescriptive. So this doesn't mean that receiving the Holy Spirit is something that happens necessarily after you receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. 
That's not what's happening here. That's not what they're trying to get up. Again, it's descriptive, not prescriptive. What's, what's simply going on here when Jesus is doing it, when he's talking about this, is that Jesus has not left the earth yet. He has not ascended to heaven yet. So that means that the third person of the Trinity had not come yet. He had not come yet to indwell believers. So what Jesus is saying is that once I leave, you will receive the Holy Spirit which is different now because Jesus ascended 2,000 years ago. So now that when we place our faith in Jesus, we receive the Holy Spirit as a gift. He, he's indwelling us, y'all. It's, it's not, there, the salvation is free. It, it's free. It's freely given to you. So there's not an action that you do where I'm saved, I accept Jesus as my Lord, now I'm going over here and I'm going to work, pray hard for the Holy Spirit to come to me. No, no, no. It's given to you as a gift. Don't add to salvation in the process. I don't want you to miss that, okay? Again, everything in this text is not necessarily prescriptive. It's descriptive in its nature. And it's, and it's huge to know the context of what's happening in this scripture. This is the beginning of the church. So things happen there that may not happen today. They still may happen, but they might not. So you got to read it in a different lens, okay? But what I really want you to pay attention to in this text is what the disciples now say to Jesus in verse 6. After Jesus says you'll receive the Holy Spirit, he's... And then look how Jesus responds to them in verse 7 and 8. I love it. The disciples look at Jesus right after he says this, and he said, after he says, you'll receive the Holy Spirit, and they say, Lord, will you, will you restore the kingdom to Israel? You can give us the Holy Spirit. I mean, you leave, will, you res, will you restore the kingdom? Now, I actually understand why they would ask this question. You know, when I'm sitting here reading this, it makes sense that they would ask this question Right now, because they've been under Roman rule for quite a while now, they, they've been viewed as, as less than socially, economically, politically, racially, on down the line. They, they have worked hard. And, and what we have to remember is now that these folks, they not, they're not just hanging with Jesus. They just witnessed him get up from the grave. They witnessed him conquer sin and death. And Jesus is talking to them, and, and he's about to leave. So the reasonable question is, okay, Jesus, you're leaving us. Does this mean you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? You're the conquering king over sin and death. You, you, you're giving us the promised Holy Spirit. So the dawn of the messianic era, it must be imminent. It's got to be our time. Jesus, you're about to run and rule everything. I can, get, I can see them getting giddy and excited right now because Jesus came back from the dead. I get it. I, it makes sense why they would ask this question. But the question is quite off. And watch how Jesus responds. Verse 7 and 8, he says, It's not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria to the end of the earth. It says, it's not for you to know the day and the time, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you to be my witnesses. Basically saying, don't worry about when my father is coming, is going to return the kingdom to Israel. That, that's not your concern. But until then, I need you to go be my witnesses. Be the church. You know who I am. You've seen what I've done. You've seen me come back from the grave. Go tell somebody else. Now, family, this is very key because as Christians and people just period, many times we're the folks that we like, we like to sit on the sideline. We like to sit on the bench and, and, and watch the game go on. And Jesus is like, get up off the bench. Stop sitting on the bench spectating. I need you to get in the game. 
You know the playbook. Go do it. Go tell somebody. Be the church. Go, go on to the scores table. Check in. Y'all not following me, okay? So let me put it this way. How many of y'all has, have played competitive sports before? Come on. Yeah, y'all. Yeah, we played some competitive sports. Even if, we, if you were a kid when you played, you played some kind of competitive sports. I love playing competitive sports. I love playing basketball, whooping up on some of these guys in this church, and they like trying to beat up on me after preaching two services, Robinson and Jay. <clears throat> no names, though. Um, but, but, but I love playing sports. I'm pretty competitive. And, and one of the things that I, the team sports that I really don't care for is I hate sitting on the bench. I'm going to just be honest with y'all. I don't like sitting on the bench because I'm competitive. If you got a competitive, you got blood flowing through you that's like, I got to win, then you want to be on the floor. I mean, because the only thing you can do on the bench is just cheer people on. Go on, buddy. You got it. You got it. Give them high fives when they come out the game. You get down low. You got it. Man, you can't do anything to help them on the floor. I don't like being on the bench. It's just a great cheerleader. Maybe some of y'all like being cheerleaders. And that, and see, and, but see, there's a point to that because that's the problem. That's the issue. You see, Jesus, hear me, y'all. Jesus didn't call us to himself. He doesn't call us to saving faith for us to sit on the sideline and cheer on the pastor. Great job, pastor. I'm glad you, you preached a good message. Way to, way to share your faith. He doesn't call us to himself so we can just hold in all this goodness he doesn't call us to himself so we can just sit in church, sit in the pew. He doesn't call us to himself so we can come in here, get our cup and drink up all the coffee because it's good. He doesn't call us to himself so we can come in here and eat all Miss Barbara's good cooking, y'all, because the woman can burn. And for y'all that don't know what burn means, it does not mean she burns up food. It's black colloquialism for the fact that she could cook. Y'all go ahead and use that, all right? She can burn. But, but Jesus doesn't call us to himself, family, so we can sit on the sideline on the bench and just gaze out there and say good job to the folks that are doing the work. It's not what he calls us to himself for. He doesn't call us to himself to say, man, that they're leading the church very well. And I'm just, I'm a, but I, I still believe, but I'm going to sit over here and watch them do that. In fact, family, here, the leaders of the church aren't even really the ones that are called to do the work of the ministry. Ephesians 4 tells us that, and I'm going to read it to you. It tells me that, that my job as your pastor is to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. Some of y'all don't believe me. Okay, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 12, it reads this way. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body in, of Christ. I mean, so, so you see that, you see those words. My job is your pastor or Pastor Luke, elder at this church, is not for us to just simply do everything. It's, it's not for us to do all the preaching, the counseling, the finances, the leading, the, the, the discipling, the training, the evangelism, on all the way down the line, showing up in court cases, everything else. But instead, it's for us to equip the body to do the work of the ministry, to train up the body to be the church. Th this is what Jesus is telling the disciples. He's saying, stop worrying about what I'm about to do. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. You got everything you need and more to do more than I've ever done. Go be the church. Get in the game. Be the church. 
But family, if I'm honest, this, this, this passage is problematic in our churches. It's problematic in our churches because church has gotten away from being the church. Instead, we, we sit in church or we play church. Now, friends, hear me. I'm, I'm pretty passionate about this because, sadly, most folks have not been trained or discipled in what God has called them to be as Christians or the church. Nobody has walked you through or understanding that the fact that God has called you to himself, yes, to save you from your sins, but also for you to go out and share the word with other people. Nobody's trained you in that. So, so I'm pretty passionate about this and the fact that he's called us to himself. And as we talked about the last couple of weeks, so not only that we can be saved, but that we can go out and bear fruit. See, even the disciples, because this didn't stop here. I mean, even the disciples in this text who were rolling with Jesus, they didn't get it. All they want in this text is Jesus, their leader, to do something. That's what they're saying. They want Jesus to do something else. And here's the thing, family, family, we're prone. We're prone to sit around and wait for the next great leader to step up for us to move. It's all throughout history. I mean, you can black, white, Hispanic, Asian, on down the line. Family, this, this is, it doesn't matter. We're, we're made to worship God. We're made to give praise to him. But what ends up happening is that instead of praising and worshiping him and using that to go out to bear fruit, what we do is we look for the next MLK Jr., we, we, we look for the next Gandhi type of figure before we move. We, we, we look for John Calvin to step up, and then, then we want to go. I mean, here, I'm going to take it there this morning a little bit. Some of us get so upset and frustrated with the president of the United States or other national leaders because they're held at such a high regard, and they're, they, they should, they're for the good of everyone else, and they, they should make everyone better. And I'm not condoning what the president does or defending him or anything like that. But, he, but here's the issue. We sit around and we wait for the next great leader to do something. But when you look at this text, Jesus took fishermen, tax collectors. These dudes are not leaders. People hate them. And he says, you go change the world. You go change the world. It's not the leader. And family, hear me, restoration to this world and God being, being glorified is not up to the next Dr. King. It's not up to the president. It's not up to the pastors preaching. It's not up to the leaders in the church family. You know who it's up to? It's up to every living and breathing person that claims Jesus as Lord. Jesus is telling his disciples in this text, stop sitting on the bench spectating and get in the game. That's what he's saying. He's saying, I'm going to give you everything you need. I need you to get in the game, do the work of the ministry, go out and be the church. But listen, there's still a problem, even with all of that I just walked through. We and the disciples were still very much alike. We, we don't get it. What I mean is that we may hear all of what I just said. We may read all of what Jesus just said. We may take it to heart and say, I believe it, but we don't live it. And this is something that runs deep. Like I said, the disciples in the text, they're struggling with the same thing right here. Look, look at the text right now. It, it says in verse 9, Jesus ascends to heaven, and the disciples are caught looking as he goes. They're, they're just sitting there gazing. 
And in verse 10, it says that Jesus is gone. The disciples are still gazing into heaven. And, 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 and family, I get why they're gazing. Let me just pause and say that it, it makes sense. I mean, let, let's, let's be real about this. Jesus just rose from the grave. He's taught them everything. Now their conquering leader is leaving them. It, 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 it makes sense that they would still be gazing. I mean, it's kind of like sitting at a grave site, and the person that you love is being lowered in the ground. And no matter how much hope you have to see them in heaven, it still hurts. It still hurts. So, so I get why they're sitting here and they're gazing. I mean, could you imagine what they're feeling right now? But as they're gazing, the text says that two men in white robes come up and they say, I love these words in verse 11. Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. They say, why do you stare as if Jesus, the Jesus you saw go away, is not coming back? See, friends, here's what I'm trying to get at. Much of what Jesus just told them, as plainly as he told them, as plainly as he explained it to them, family, what they need to do after he leaves, they still don't get it. They're still looking into heaven, waiting for Jesus to do something. They want him to do something. They're, they're sitting and they're stagnant like, what do we do now? And then these men come up and they basically say, stop gazing. Stop looking into heaven. It's okay to look, but he gave you instructions. Know that he's coming back. So go out and be the church. They say the same thing that Jesus says. Now don't miss this family because this is good right here. Because here's the thing. If Jesus is coming back, and I know him as the conquering king who, who conquered sin and death and, and everything, and I, I keep my eyes on him as my Savior and Lord, and he's holding me in the palm of his hands, then it frees me up to be the church or be the person that he's called me to be. It gives me freedom to go out and love people and bear fruit the way that he did. You know why? Because he's got me in the palm of his hands, and nothing can touch me when I'm in his hands. You see, and, 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 and here's the thing, because some of y'all just missed that. So let me, let me put it this way, because I need y'all to get this. Nothing matters, because he, here it is. I can live the way he's called me, because he's got me. Okay, y'all still missing it. Sometimes, y'all, I, I got five kids. How many of y'all got kids? Come on. Yeah, you got kids. Some of y'all were a kid at one point, right? So y'all can go with me on this. Okay, I have five kids. and I love wrestling with them. I love playing with them. Some of you have been to my house. You see me wrestling with them all the time. They love playing with daddy. We have a good old time in the house. And one of the things I love to do with my kids is I love to throw, we have 15 foot ceilings in our house. I love to throw them up as high as I can in the house. All right, y'all go ahead and say, Ooh. you know, and it freaks my wife out, y'all. She, she can't stand it because for some reason she thinks I'm going to drop them on the floor, you know, and daddy, I ain't about to drop my kids, you know, mistakes don't happen with daddies, you know, we don't do that, but let me, let me demonstrate this though, because, because I love doing this, especially my little Isabel, that's my little flyer, I, I, they come up, and um, she's like, throw me daddy, and I said, this is what I do, let me show you guys, so I 
I bend down and I put my hands underneath their underarms right here and I'm holding them tight and and before I throw them, they know this now, I tell them, look, if I'm going to throw you in the air, you have to trust me, okay? And when you go up in the air, look, daddy's going to keep his arms out and I'm keeping my eye on you the whole time. I'm not going to drop you. I'm going to make sure I catch you. But hear me, you got to do the same thing. And when you're in the air, you got to keep your eyes on me. Don't miss what I'm saying here. When you're in the air flying around, you got to keep your eyes on me knowing that daddy's going to catch you. Don't be looking all around. Just look at me because I got you. I got you. Y'all missing what I'm saying. I tell them, stare at me. Stare at me while you're in the air. Because if you start looking all around, you start looking up, looking down at everything around, you know what's going to happen? You're going to get scared. And you're going to start flailing your arms and, and screaming and hollering. And now it's going to make it harder for me to catch me, catch you. Some of y'all missing what I'm saying here. But if you stare at me while you're in the air, knowing that I have my hands out ready to receive you, then you can fly in the air and have a good old time and freedom and fun, knowing that your daddy is going to catch you. <laughs> y'all didn't get that. And see, that's the problem, though. Maybe you didn't clap because it, it hit home for you. Because many times, you know what happens? We're caught gazing, looking around at everything in our lives. We're caught gazing and looking around instead of keeping our eyes on Jesus. And what happens is that we start freaking out because we start seeing that things in our life are out of our control. And instead of now we're, we're looking at all of that instead of keeping our eyes on Jesus and trusting him. And what happens as a result is we start trying to control everything in our lives because we're living in a state of fear. We control our money and we don't give it away to the church or to the people in need. We control our homes and we start overprotecting our kids. We try to manage our spouses. We, we control our job atmosphere and we never flourish there and we never have enough. We control our relationships and we never have real friends. We start to control, 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 and we never live in freedom, but instead we live our lives in fear. Hear me, family. If, if, if you trust Jesus, his word, Knowing as a believer, you possess that same spirit. Don't miss this. The same spirit, the Holy Spirit, God in spirit inside of you, the spirit that can move mountains. You, you, you possess that same spirit, that same power, he says. Then, then what's someone else's perception of you mean? Nothing. What's hard times in your life? Nothing. When things are out of your control, well, nothing. I mean, what, what's trials? Who cares what people think about me? I know what God thinks about me. I mean, you're free to be Jesus' witness and be the man or woman he's called you to be because you're only concerned with what he thinks about you. You're only concerned with doing the work of the ministry that he's called you to. You're only concerned with bearing fruit. You can freely fly in the air knowing that your daddy is going to catch you. That's the Christian life. See, these men in white robes, they come and they say that he will come back Basically, they're reassuring them to be faithful in the ministry that he's called them to. Be faithful in it. They basically say, look, 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 you can look at him. It's okay, and I need you to hear me. It's okay to look to Jesus coming back. It's okay to look for him. But they say, don't get caught standing there gazing. 
he's called you to do something as a believer. Go out and be the church. Bear fruit. Live as Jesus has shown you as we talked about the last couple of weeks. Family, hear me. As we enter into this book of Acts, we are growing as a church. But God is saying, I am not done yet. You know why? I know it's a simple fact. You know why I know he's not done yet? You know, you know why? I mean, if he was done, this world would be no more and Christians would be in heaven with him. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm still pretty physical here, right? He's not done yet. There's still work to be done. So, family, do not, I'm gonna, I want to do this with you. Let's not take the words of Jesus in this passage lightly. Let's not take them lightly. Keep going. As believers, keep sharing his goodness with the world that needs to know him. He says, be my witnesses. And the men in white, they come and say the same thing, reassuring them, saying he's coming back. But until then, go out, share the gospel message and what he's done in our lives. Share Jesus with everyone at all costs. Go be the church. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this morning. You're a good God. We thank you for how much you've loved us. We thank you that you're a father that wants us to fly freely for your glory and for your good. And when we mess up, God, you catch us. When we get caught looking, you still catch us, God. God, we thank you for being a gracious father who loves us, God, even when we don't love you or ourselves. God, I pray that we'd be a people that wouldn't just like to be in church or sit in church, but we'd be a people that would be committed to your will and long for to see you, but at the same time, God, while we're here waiting, God, we wouldn't just wait doing nothing. God, that we'd be a people that would be your church and go out and share your goodness and your love in a world that needs to know you. God, I sat in the Laquan McDonald trial this Sunday, this weekend. I sat there and I thought about the fact that this boy had no father. I, that, I sat there and thought about the police officer who's leaving his family. Now they don't have a father. And God, there's many other people in this city that need to know you as father. So God, I, I just pray that, uh, that we would be that church, that family, they would be that for people that need to know you. God, you're a good God. And we give you all the praise and all the glory. Let us never forget your goodness. In Christ's name, we all said together, amen.